0: Heavenly Father, we come before you during this time in the service to open up your word, to be amazed at the miracles that we're going to witness coming off the page out of the Gospel of John, and that we would be um, be changed. We would be motivated because of your love and your grace and your mercy for us to help others to know you in some deep and abiding ways. Help us to have the courage and the confidence that Thomas and the disciples had after they saw you. Let us have even greater confidence knowing that we are part of the church that for
1: 2,000 years has proclaimed your name and helped people to come to saving faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Let's do that again. There we go. So I'm going to read it to you, and then we will kind of break it down. Starting in verse 24.
0: Oh, sorry, no. Verse 19. Chapter twenty nineteen. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, leaving, by, by believing you may have life in his name.
1: So we have, remember what we're, where we're at. There has been... His death, his burial, his resurrection. The tomb is empty. Peter, John,
0: Mary, some other women, the road to Emmaus, all these things have happened and then we come to this place of the upper room. So we know that the disciples understand that he's not there. We know that they are not looking for him, that they're gathered around, probably after hearing uh, multiple eyewitness accounts that Jesus is alive. So you have Peter and John saying he's alive. You have Mary Magdalene, who has an encounter with him, remember from last week. And then the other women who were there with her, we see from the other Gospels, are also testifying that the tomb is empty. And then you have the men that Jesus encountered on the road to Emmaus. By this time, in, we put the Gospels together, they have come together as well and said, we encountered him. Which is another part of the humor of Christ where he's walking with these guys and he's having them tell, oh, our Savior, you know, Jesus and our Lord and our teacher and he died. Oh, tell me about that guy. And he has this whole conversation with them. They sit down and have a meal and he's like, hey, it's me. And he disappears. Like you, you have to, how often the playfulness and the humor of Christ comes out. And we see that at this moment here. They're in a room locked down terrified of the Jews, and he appears to them in the middle of them and says,
1: Peace be with you. It's that night. Resurrection Sunday has happened early in the morning. Mary, the
0: disciples, John um, and Peter and Mary and the other women that were with her when they came to take care of Jesus' body, the guys who have walked from to the road to Emmaus, they've, they've spread, they're up in the upper room, you can just there's a buzz. You can just tell there's this buzz. He's alive, there's gonna be conjecture, they're gonna eat some food together, they're gonna to hang out, they've been with each other for three years. So think of this group of, of disciples like a small unit military kind of bond. Like that's how you got to think of these guys. That's how you got to think of the even and all the extended. We know there's at least hundred disciples all around outside the twelve. That there's, but think of like these guys were together and lived life together for years. They know everything about each other. Very close. So they're going to be sitting around like well, the what ifs. Where's he at? What's he doing? What do you think's happening? What do you think it means? Are you is it? Are you for real? Are you sure? Do you remember that time he did that one thing? oh, he's probably doing it again. Like, you can just imagine all this conversation and the buzz of this room. Despair to joy, but some timid joy. I don't know, is it really happening? And then,
1: boom, he shows up in the room and he says, peace be with you. Now, I, I like to think that I'm pretty good under pressure. I like to think that when I'm startled, I have a pretty good startle reflex
0: to where I could get to work if I needed to, if I was scared in the moment. Um, there was one time a, 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 a young man that I was mentoring, he snuck around the truck and he like wanted to scare me while I was pumping gas and I didn't, I didn't curl up in a ball. I drew a fist back and almost punched him. And he's like, no, 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 no. I was like, okay, I think maybe I'll react properly. But you never really know until you're in that moment, right? And I pray us are in that, but you don't know. So here's the disciples Rough, tough fishermen. We don't get the story, but Jesus just shows up in the middle of the room. Peace be with you. Did they, yay! Or did they go, oh, or did they hit the dirt? Or did they have an accident? Like, I don't know. Like, these guys, could you imagine? The door is locked, and Jesus, who you've watched die,
1: appears and says, Peace be with you. They're losing it. I can just imagine. You can just imagine. So, Jesus helps them to see that it's him. When he had said this, he
0: showed them his hands and his side. And this is why I think it's, it's a bit unfair for Thomas to be called Doubting Thomas, because we see in just a few verses that the disciples believed after they saw his hands and his side. It's a little disingenuous. It's, it's, it's unfair to Thomas, because he just says what they're all thinking. He's just the bold one. I think he's the bold one. He's the guy that doesn't want to deal with all the jokes. He, I don't think he probably had much of a sense of humor. I don't think he probably... He's probably the person that doesn't understand sarcasm. He doesn't get it. He's very cut and dry, black and white. I want to be with you, Jesus. Where are you going? I'll go with you. I'll die with you. We see through the rest of the Gospel of John that he said this multiple times. Wherever you're going, Jesus, I want to be there. And the other disciples, well, they're going to kill us. Let's go die. He doesn't care. He just wants to be with Jesus. Well. He appears to the disciples. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. After they saw his hands and his side, so just a few verses later, Thomas says, "I won't believe until I see his hands and his side." And we all doubting Thomas. Well, they're all that. It's just not a fair
1: assessment of Thomas. When they uh, and think about it, wouldn't we as well? Wouldn't you doubt your own? brain, your eyes,
0: what's happening? Am I just an emotional wreck? Am I just... And then he goes, look, it's me. It's me. And then the disciples were glad. And he says to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He doesn't just have... Now, we don't know all the details of the conversation John is giving us this. Was there a little bit of a, hey, what's going on? Or did Jesus go straight to the power of, everything I've told you is true. Everything. So just as the Father has sent me, you have a mission before you. And your mission is
1: far greater than anything you could ever imagine. And he tells them, you're going to be sent out. You're going to be sent out. Now, John Calvin disagrees with this account. He says it's ridiculous
0: to imagine that our resurrected Savior would still have pierced hands and a hole in the side. That it makes no sense that a, a resurrection body it would, but then you go to Revelation five and it says that Jesus will look like a lamb who was slain. So it appears that when he returns, or at least when he's with the elders, it appears that he still has the marks that he still has. So what does all? I'm just I refuse to argue over it. <laughs> I just that that's way beyond my understanding. If the Book of Revelation says that he has the marks. And we're going to know it when we see him. At least it revel- and does he? When the whole new earth happens, and we all get our resurrection bodies. Do do I still have my scars, or do I get a brand new? It seems we're getting a new body. Does Jesus? I don't know. So when you read that, don't don't let your brain burn too much because I don't think it really matters. But just know that theologians over the years have tried to argue that like no way did he really have that. There's no way that our Lord still has the marks. And I go well, but except for the Bible. And I just kind of follow the Bible, and I, you know, like, that's what I'm going to do.
1: So Jesus appears to them. He's there with them. He's given the mission I'm sending you. This isn't over. You're
0: not going to be hiding in this room. You're going to do more than just sit here. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they have forgiven them. If you withhold
1: forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, what's going on here is this is... People disagree with this too. Now, here's why I don't believe that this this is
0: the moment where the Holy Spirit indwelt with the disciples because the day of Pentecost is coming. Also, Thomas is not with them. So to say that this is the moment of the impartation of Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit into them, it goes against what we see in the book of Acts. So when you look at the entire scripture, you can't say, well, he breathed on them the Spirit. This is not when the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples. This is a promise of the Holy Spirit. Now it says he breathed on them, um, people disagree on that. It, it's a sigh. and When you look at it in, in the original language, it could just be a, if John's recording this, they say they believe, it could be like a, like, it's time, or I don't think it's a frustrated sigh. It could be like, this is the culmination. Jesus is back with him. He just took a
1: deep breath. And then the promise came. He just told them, you have a mission. You're going to be sent out. Takes a big breath.
0: Maybe he was deciding, do I let them in on what's about to come? Do I give them a hint? What's happening? We have no idea the emotion that's running in this moment. What he gives us is he tells them, receive the Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I don't think this is. This can't be the disciples having the, the power to forgive sin. He's not saying, once you receive the Holy Spirit, you are now God. Because that would go against everything else in the Bible. We are never elevated to the level of God. We are elevated to be a brother in Christ. We're elevated to be a sister. We're elevated to be higher than the angels. But we are not God, and we never will be we we'll don't become gods of our own little planet, our own little space. That's not what's happening. So what's going on here? Well, I think he's
1: giving us, and it seems that he's drawing us back to when God breathed life into Adam. Like the author of life is God. And John is helping us to
0: see that in this moment, they finally started to get it. They finally started to
1: understand their station, their place, he breathed. God breathed life into Adam. That that
0: holy breath that we read about throughout the whole Old Testament into the New, that the breath of God, the, this holy moment, this is them getting marching orders and them understanding what
1: their mission in life is going to be. That's what it appears to me to be. And then we get the promise. Receive the Spirit. He tells them it's coming later when he ascends. Wait for the helper. And then he gives
0: kind of the, um, preaching. This is the pastoral and the leader in a church. The pressure, the power, the authority that's given in the preaching of the word and the sharing of the testimony. That all of us as ministers of the gospel, when we teach people
1: about the forgiveness of sin, when we teach about the truth and the grace of Christ, people's sins are forgiven. If we withhold that truth, people won't know the truth.
0: He's not saying that you and I have the power to forgive and the power to go, I don't like you, you get no forgiveness. Hell for you, I take it away. That's not what he's saying. He's telling the disciples after we just heard the comment and that the proclamation that he's going to send you, he then takes a deep breath says, the Holy Spirit is coming, and then he tells them, it is your responsibility to teach the truth to the world. That in your voice, you have the power of grace, you have the power of forgiveness, because you tell of the testimony of Christ's sacrifice, because you teach people the word, because you show grace and mercy, that we all have the power to
1: help people receive grace and forgiveness from Christ because of our testimony. I can't walk around and lay hands on people and they just start to shake and tremor and say, I feel forgiven. It's not my,
0: I'm not God. But I can share my story, my testimony, the testimony of people close to me. I can open up the word. I can show that grace is for them. I can tell them there's nothing that they have done that can separate them from the love of Christ Jesus. I can show them
1: all of these things. And if I don't tell them that, if I don't have the confidence and boldness to share that truth, they're not going to receive forgiveness. It's an evangelistic
0: command from Christ in this moment. He takes a deep breath, receive the Spirit. If you do the work of showing people forgiveness, they will receive forgiveness.
1: If you keep your mouth closed, they may never be saved. He's telling us, you have a mission. Ooh, almost fell. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called
0: the twin, was not with them. So this happens. Jesus tells them you have a mission. He then leaves. Thomas comes back to the disciples. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe.
1: We get doubting Thomas, even though a mere two verses earlier, it's all the disciples. Now, where's Thomas? And I know you, in the years that I have been preaching, um, I've shared this more
0: than once. I think Thomas was so distraught. He didn't want to be around the disciples. He didn't want to be around anybody. He was devastated by the loss of Christ. He's devastated that his friend and Lord Jesus is gone. He didn't care if the Jews captured him up and killed him. He didn't care. He was willing to go and die with Jesus. He was willing to follow him anywhere, and now he's gone. He doesn't care about his own life. He doesn't. Take me now. I'm not, this is, I don't care if the Jews find me. I don't care if the Romans find me. I don't care if the people stone me. I don't care if they crucify me. I don't care. Jesus is gone. What's What life is worth living now? And so he's not in the upper room hiding. He's not hiding from the Jews. He's not hiding from the leaders. He's not trying to run away. He's just out somewhere. He's in mourning. He's in grief. He's distraught. He's... And then when he comes back, maybe meal time. I don't know, comes back to check in on his friends.
1: He's had a good time alone. And he says, hey, he's alive. We've seen him. And Thomas like, I won't believe it unless I see it for myself. You guys got to see it. And, and, and I picture Thomas as a man whose heart is twisted in agony and grief. And we've, we've all lost people in our lives. And if someone came to you and said, they're not dead, would you go, yes and amen? Or would you go, what? How is this? Show me. I got to go. We would all be that way, I think. It'd be hard for our hearts to be wrenched and twisted like that. And that's where Thomas is. He's a deeply passionate, feeling man. And he says, "I won't believe it until I see it." So Jesus in his grace in his mercy, shows him. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. So it appears that they have left and come back.
0: They're not just huddled, hovering. There's some confidence they're inside again. So I don't think he just
1: stayed there locked up for eight more days. What was Jesus doing for those eight days? We'll see in a minute, but we don't get all that. That's the kind of stories we get to hear for eternity. Well, you know, the disciples are hiding. I was doing like,
0: I can't wait to be at the banquet table, and Jesus starts telling stories on everybody. Like, that's going to be terrific. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. So Thomas is with them now. He's not in hiding. He's not out mourning alone. He's now with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you.
1: At what point does this become the trick that you're just like, really, Jesus? You keep doing this. Could you just knock? And I think he, I, I,
0: I know, I mean, I might be way out there on the fringe, but I think Jesus and his sense of humor is messing with him over and over and over again. He's just showing up. Peace be with you. Well, he said that before. Why would he say it again? It's like It's like the running
1: joke. Why? What are you doing? And then Thomas pops up. He looks at
0: Thomas. So he shows up, does it again. They're probably all looking at each other like, why does he keep doing that?
1: And then he looks straight to Thomas. So Jesus has known everything that Thomas has said. He's all-knowing. He knows what he's, he knows what he's struggling with. And so then he looks at Thomas.
0: Put your finger here. See my hands. Put your, ha- your hand and place it at my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. He knows the exact conversation that Thomas had. I will not believe unless I see it for myself. He shows up, peace be with you. Oh, Thomas, hey, uh, stick your finger in there. Come on, put
1: your hand in there. Come on, come on, it's fine. Come on, put it in there. And he tells him, don't disbelieve, believe. He gives him exactly what he needs in a loving, gracious way.
0: Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Instantaneous proclamation. The first proclamation of the disciples that Jesus is God. They said Messiah. They said Lord. But they never said God. That he's God in flesh. And Thomas is the first one that says it. And I think that leads us to the more passionate pursuit of Christ that I'm trying to convey. He wasn't a doubter. But he also wasn't a man that was going to take things at face value. He had to see it for himself. He had to believe it because of the, the heart is twisted in grief. And as soon
1: as it becomes real to him, he's the first one to declare that Jesus is God. And Jesus says, in a very loving but also prophetic way, Have you believed because you
0: have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We fall into the blessed of those who have not seen and yet have believed. He gives
1: us <clears throat> a bit of a hint towards our evangelistic pursuits. We can't take people back in a back to the future DeLorean to the cross and have them witness this. But instead, we testify to the truth of it. It requires belief. You know that you know that you... yeah, And that's our testimonies.
0: That's how we tell our stories. And all of us have come to faith in a multitude of ways. Some of us very young. Some of us later in life. Some of us through intellectual fights. Some of us through emotional struggles. Some of us just looking for community and this group of people just loves me so Jesus must
1: be real because why would they love me except for Jesus? And when you share that part of yourself, what Paul says in Colossians
0: chapter 1, we're filling up what Christ on the cross couldn't do. He's not saying that the cross doesn't give grace. He's saying that our lives
1: help people see the truth of Jesus. Do you share your story with others? No matter what that looks like. And Jesus is saying Blessed are those who have not yet seen but have belief.
0: Thomas, you get the benefit of seeing me in person, sticking your hands on my side, but from this point forward, he just told the disciples, you're to go out
1: on a mission and help people to understand this truth without seeing Jesus. And it's amazing, isn't it? That's why Jesus said it's better for him to go. When you unleash...
0: Millions of people to share their personal stories of testimony of coming to Christ and knowing Christ. That's way more effective on a global reach than one man walking around with his hand, with holes in his hand saying, believe he'd have to cover all that ground over and over
1: and over again and walk and be. And instead he unleashes all of us. That's pretty powerful. There's a weightiness to it, but there's also a great joy. So he tells Thomas, you're blessed. You've seen me. And then we get verse 30 and thirty to 31. Um, and this is the stuff that makes my brain hurt. Because I want to know. I want to know all of it. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book.
0: But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Couldn't you just keep writing, John? Like, you already put together 21 chapters, could you throw in another 10? Just, could I just know,
1: please? And that's a snapshot. We have four Gospels, three years of public ministry, most of which isn't recorded, and
0: for eternity, we're going to hear all of these stories. And it's not just going to be, Jesus did this miracle, this miracle. We get to, we'll be hanging out with disciples who will describe what happened
1: when Jesus just popped into the room. Oh yeah, he, he loved to do that to us. He was always messing with us. We get to hear how the stories and
0: testimonies. 2,000 years of the church of people like you and like me just sharing the story of their lives and people coming to faith through sharing our lives. For eternity, we're going to hear that. Somebody's gonna be standing in a spot saying, Yeah, I was I was doing this in my life and this in my life, and then this guy named Bill just revealed, he just talked to me about his life. Oh, hey, hey, Bill, come here. You tell that part of the story. Why'd you come? For eternity, we're gonna hear the stories of all these connections and how Jesus used us and worked through us, and it's gonna be amazing. But we hear, and John tells us here. That he did these signs, he did many more signs, but they're not written or he gives the purpose of the Gospel of John. These that you have in your hands in the Gospel of John are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Like, th- th- that's one of the, the tricks of helping people see the truth of this book is we have to get them to see that this isn't a complete biography of Jesus. This isn't the complete story of God. He's given us this amazing testimony, 66 books,
1: multiple authors, for us to believe. That's the point of the book, is for us to believe. It's not the exhaustive, every little thing, everything we're supposed to know, everything that happened. He
0: doesn't give us every little exact way to live our lives. He gives us a lot, but he doesn't... then he tells us to get a church, have a community, have people, have people around you to point you in these directions, to help you along the way. But the book is given so that we believe. This shouldn't be used. Yes, we have arguments over the Bible with other people and people in our lives. Yes, we argue in our own hearts. We read something and go, I don't like that. And then the Spirit says, well, you don't have to like it. It's the truth, like, but I still don't like it. And then we have our own internal fights, our own internal struggles. But the point of the book isn't... To lay out your life in a timeline. The point of the book isn't to answer every question you have. The point of this cherished book is that we would believe. Do you believe that you're loved by the God of the universe? Do you believe that you are loved so much that He moved heaven and earth for you to know him, to be saved by the cross, to have a relationship with him? Do you believe that? When you believe that, the stuff that you do argue with becomes less and less because... If this is how God said to do things, or this is how God says to forgive and to love, and how I act with people who have wronged me, and how I treat my family and my community,
1: and well, I'm going to be more likely to go, okay, because this helped me see that I'm loved. Love always comes first. So he tells them, tells us, John writes, can you just imagine John sitting writing all this down? He's like, Gosh,
0: there's so much more I could tell you. My hand
1: hurts. (laughs) Just believe and then someday you get to know it all. Now, there was a time 15 years ago that I hated ideas like that. I wanted to know. Now I'm okay with it because I'm looking forward to the adventure of knowing it all. That eternity will unfold with the stories of Christ. That's a long time. That means there's a lot that I don't know and I get to experience in the new heaven and new earth. That's going to be pretty cool. A couple thoughts.
0: How- uh, John would tell us, and Jesus would tell it through Thomas, that we have to believe. The first step in a life with Christ and a relationship with God is believing. Do you believe now this looks a little different. Um, it means that we
1: have to confess, and it means that we have to be committed. The confession is, I'm not, I'm not all that in a bag of
0: chips. The confession is, I can't do this alone. The confession is, I am not perfect. The confession is, I have problems, I have struggles, I am not good. I have a broken heart that needs to be Renewed and brought new again by your love, Jesus. I need your sacrifice. I
1: need you to save me. You confess that to the Lord. I can't do this. And so that confession is a humble act of saying, I don't have it all together. He receives that that devoted confession, that,
0: that acknowledgement that you can't do this, and you're immediately wrapped in the arms of love, you're forgiven, grace is poured upon you,
1: you're a new creation in Christ, you're a Christian. We confess. If we deny the resurrection, we deny the
0: truth of God, then our confession is a false confession. It's not real. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus loves you? Do you believe in your bones that you're free? You're filled with grace because of Jesus. That can happen at three years old. It can happen at 80 years old. And everywhere in between, it's about, do you believe this to be true? It doesn't mean that you understand everything. It doesn't mean you've got it all figured out. Because I think that's a whole lifetime of trying and you're not going to get there. But do you believe that you're loved by Christ, he died for your sin, that without him you will
1: not have eternity? You confess that, and he says, you're mine. You're mine. And then we commit to follow him as Lord. That in this in this confession, there's a commitment that's deeply personal. That you commit to living a life for Christ. Knowing that you will slip, knowing that you will fall,
0: knowing knowing that you will not measure up, knowing that this is a life, but do you commit to that? There'll be seasons where you're not in the Word. There'll be seasons when church is a tough place to be. There'll be seasons when things don't make sense. But do you commit to continue the pursuit of more of Jesus?
1: Are you committed to that? Are you committed to live a life that honors Him? That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples in this upper room. Thomas, believe. Disciples, you have a mission. Go out. Are you committed to that? Once this happens, when you believe, then we
0: ask the question, once we obtain this, how do we do that? I can say it all day long. Believe and go share. And you're like, "Ah, great, Mike, nice pep talk.
1: How do I, how do I do that though? What's that look like practically? We live in a relationship with Jesus. And if you've been in church for a month, the broken record of faith is the truth. Do you spend time in prayer? Do you spend time in the word? Do you spend time in community and fellowship with other people that help you grow closer to Christ? It's been that way since the beginning. Do I spend time, in, if I love Jesus, do I spend time with him? Do I pray? Do I talk to him? Do I cry out to him? And that can be verbally, like people might think you're singing along with the car radio, and you might just be having a good old prayer time with Jesus. Or it could be very silent and just in your head. Are, are, you, are you talking to him? Are you spending time in the Word? If you spend time in this book, you will come away knowing you're loved, you're forgiven, and you'll know that you have a mission. That's the point of the book. We believe. We live on that mission for Christ. Do you see all of life as part of the mission?
0: Talking to people, engaging with people, how you treat the server at the restaurant that you go to. When you talk, call someone on the phone and you're, like, all your dealings, do you see every person around you as an image bearer of God that may or may not know Jesus, but if they don't know Jesus, they need to know Jesus, they know Jesus, then that's part of your even closer-knit family. Do you see everyone, do, do, do you live life like that? That no matter where you're at and your relationships and your interactions and how
1: you're doing things, that this, just, you're just waiting for the Spirit to open the door. And I know that it's a little easier for me. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Because invariably when it comes
0: to men or comes, people always end up asking, so what do you do for work? I'm a pastor. It immediately turns into a, oh, well I've got some questions. or, Or it turns into, oh. And either way the reaction happens, I know which way to go. Like, sure, let's talk. Or they're like, oh, and I go, hey, hey, hey. Surveys say that I'm a pretty cool pastor.
1: <laughs>
0: I just make up something stupid. So I know that I have a little easier go of that ice breaking moment because it's just part of,
1: but you can lead the conversations that way. You can, you can do it. We live on a mission for Christ. That my life isn't my own. My own. It's to make much of him and whoever comes my way. And then lastly, do you live in the blessings of Christ? Do you live in the blessings of Jesus? He tells the disciples repeatedly
0: in the scriptures, if you come to him, we'll get real peace, a lasting joy, divine acceptance. He wants to bless us to his glory. By saying that we live in the blessings of Jesus does not mean that we don't have pain, we don't have suffering, we don't have heartache, we don't have sickness.
1: That's not what he's saying. But if we live a life to the joy of Jesus, He's going to bless us. Do we learn? This is all practice. That we are going to enjoy God now and forever.
0: This is the practice field. If the Lord grants us 80, 90, 100 years on this planet, that's 90 years of practice.
1: For an eternity of enjoying Jesus, this is just the warm-up to the big game. All of our
0: lives is the warm-up to enjoying Him. So it it would behoove us
1: to begin to enjoy Jesus now because it's practice for enjoying Him forever. And I watch a lot of you do it. I mean, growing, living here in Wyoming, and some of you have grown up here your whole
0: lives. No matter what's going on outside with the, the cold stuff and the wind or whatever, there's always like the joke. There's always like a way to find some joy in about everything. I remember when we all got locked down 20 months ago, 18 months ago. We didn't have church for two months. We were just, the whole world was kind of shut down and everyone's doing Walmart pickup and nobody was really talking or going out. We all started coming back. I started hearing the filtering of, you know, I got to read a lot over those last two months. I got to hang out with my kids, my grandkids a little more over the two months. Yeah, it stinks. You can do this and this and this. Most of you found a little bit of joy
1: even in that two months. It might have been hard some days. It might have been difficult. But if, if you have a practiced way of finding joy in every circumstance, even in the suffering, that's practice for eternity. And that even builds into our testimony. That even in the middle of my suffering, I can find joy. Once we get this life, once we believe, our work is in the relationship, the mission, and living in that blessing. That's our everyday, ongoing walk with Jesus. Do I talk to him? Do I spend time with
0: him? Do I see the world as my mission field? God might not call you to sub-Saharan Africa, But he might call you to Walmart. He might call you to go to the same place for lunch every Friday so you get to know
1: the people that work there. And they get to know you by name. And then one day when you see that they're down, you go, Everything all right?
0: I've been coming here for two months. And you've always had a smile on your face. Today you don't.
1: You okay? And you've tipped well and you've been kind. And that opens the door. That's a blessing that we have to live into as well. We get to build those relationships. So the question for the day, do you believe? Do you believe and do you live in that belief? I pray you do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for some time in your word. And I pray, Lord, that we all would spend some time contemplating our relationship with you this week. Do we really see every person as someone who needs hope and love from you? Whether they believe in you or not, can we be a place of encouragement? A place of joy, filling hope? If we are encountering people around us that don't believe, how do we help them to see the truth through our testimony of your sacrifice for us on the cross? And Lord, if there's anyone in the room that has not taken that step to belief, if they're a little bit on that side of of Thomas that needs to see some things or encounter some
0: things to really fully commit, I pray that they would see the people in this congregation and the people around them as people that would love to help them take those steps towards believing. That we would gladly share our testimonies and our experiences And help
1: people to know that you're real, Lord. And I pray that all of us would think of the people in our lives that could take those steps closer to you through our active understanding of our mission field. Help us to identify those people and help us to point them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.